Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me, and today we're going to talk about the economy. No, no, don't, don't, don't go. You're, you're going to like this, I promise. We've made the economy interesting. We're really talking about two economies. There's the one in Silicon Valley where thousands of jobs are disappearing every day, and one where many other Americans live and kind of seems okay. Knocking on wood. So because there's two economies, we want to talk to two different guests. They're both my friends. Look at me. I got cool friends. I've talked to Emily Stewart who covers the economy and consumers and spending and money for Vox.com. And then I talked to Mike Isaac from the New York Times. He covers Facebook slash Meta and really covers all of the tech. Also got a cameo from Mike's dog, Bruna. Seems pretty cool. Okay, we're going to talk about the economy and job losses, but also optimism. You're going to like it. First up, here's me and Emily Stewart. I'm here with my colleague, Emily Stewart. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for having me. Is this your first Recode Media appearance? Is that possible? It is. It is. Very exciting. Emily is my colleague at Vox.com. She writes about the economy. Um, I keep sending her story ideas because it's easier for me to assign story ideas to her than write them myself. She's awesome. She's got a newsletter. What's the newsletter called? The Big Squeeze. The Big Squeeze. It costs zero dollars and zero cents. You should go subscribe to it now over at Vox.com. Emily, I wanted to have you on because you're the person I ask questions about the economy. About also sometimes the Bachelor because that's your other area of expertise is the Bachelor TV show. But let's talk about the economy for now. And I was going to ask you this question, but it turns out it's the headline of your last story, which is, "Is the economy kind of good now?" Question mark. And the reason I'm asking is we're going to talk to Mike Isaac about tens of thousands of layoffs in Silicon Valley and tech, and there it seems very brutal, and the world is ending, and in the rest of the world seems not so bad. So is the economy kind of good now? I mean, the short answer with a bunch of caveats is, is yes, the economy is pretty good now. The job market is strong, despite what you see in the headlines. Um, if you look at the last jobs report, the economy added about half of a million jobs in January, which is a lot. Uh, 2022 was a really good year for job growth. You know, obviously the elephant in the room here consistently is everybody hates inflation. Inflation sucks. It makes us angry. But the economy, not in the worst Spot. It's hard to say we're in a recession at this very moment. Jobs are good unless you're in tech and maybe also in media. We had layoffs here at, at Vox Media. Expect to see more media layoffs throughout the year, I think, frankly, or at least the ha- first half of the year. Some in finance. So if things are looking down there, why are they good in the rest of the economy? Is it a different kind of employees, a different sectors? You know, and not to discount, obviously, layoffs are bad, full stop, they are painful. If you look at the unemployment rate among college-educated workers, which I think you can use as kind of white-collar worker, you know, avatar here, the unemployment rate for college-educated people is still like 1.9% or 2%. It's really low, and it's much lower than non-college-educated workers. So, like, yes, it is sad when people lose their jobs. It is still a decent job market for a lot of people. Um, It's also probably worth noting that business and professional services added jobs in January. So sometimes I think the headlines like 
super, super hide what is going on. That being said, it's still a really good job market for people kind of at the bottom incomes level, people more at the lower end, people more in, in blue collar jobs. So people in construction, people in leisure and hospitality are doing really well. It's not only that they are able to jump jobs and find new jobs, but they're also getting higher wages. And some of that wage growth has slowed down, but a lot of people have seen raises. I mean, obviously the caveat here is obviously that sometimes inflation is cutting into that wage growth. So yes, you got a raise, but you also are paying a lot more at the grocery store. But I think, again, like the headlines do sort of hide that the job market is is really good for a lot of people. We had a very good job report, if you like people getting hired, um, last year. And again, depending on where you're in the economy, you might think that's a problem. And today, just before we started talking, Jerome Powell, head of the Fed, said maybe inflation's going to start going down and people got excited about that and then apparently the market wasn't sure if they were excited and I know you are not well you are a professional fed watcher so you tell me should we, you know do the people that you talk to think that that the inflation fears and reality that we've had over the last year or so that we've seen the worst of it or are they not convinced yet I mean a lot of people I talk to say it seems like inflation's coming down uh, it has been coming down slowly for the past several months. I think inflation is still a lot higher than where the Fed wants it to be. So the Fed wants it to be at 2% over the long term. Now you can have this argument about like, is 2% the right number? And what is the trade off there? But inflation, I think the last CPI was like 6% year over year. So that's not too right. And so when and if the Fed will stop raising interest rates, like we don't know. And it it's tricky, you know, they are paying attention. And there is a world where they pushes into recession, there's a world where they engineer like the soft landing, meaning things slow down, but uh, no recession. The last time we had a really big pullback in tech was 2000, 2001, at the end of the Web 1 bubble. And the, the conventional wisdom then was that was sort of a contagion that affected the rest of the economy, that, that these dot-coms blowing up uh, ripple throughout the rest of the economy. It was, and there were other issues too. And there was a war. Is there any sense that that what's happening in tech specifically, and maybe not in the media? Who cares about media except us? That what's happening in tech is eventually going to leak out and affect the rest of the economy. And so the fact that there is this disconnect, eventually it's going to get connected, and not in a good way. I mean, you always start to worry that this stuff will become contagious. And there is a world where we can talk ourselves into a recession. Like if enough people start saying recession's coming, recession's coming, start pulling back on spending, you can kind of create your own self-fulfilling recession. So that definitely is always a risk. In terms of what's happening right now, and you are more the expert than I am in this, but like Apple and Meta and Google are not like blowing up, right? They're just kind of scaling back. So I have a hard time thinking that that is like a sign that the world is ending. But again, like this stuff can become contagious. And if you see enough headlines that the sky is falling, like at some point, the sky is going to start to crack. Okay. But it has not cracked. I mean, the hard thing is that if we are in a recession, we would not know it immediately, right? So technically, a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. That could be happening right now. Do I think it is? Like, I don't know, but nobody you talk to, no economist that I talk to is willing to say, like, definitely no recession this year. I did talk to a few people last week who were like, listen, we're clearly not in a recession right now. Like, GDP growth in the last quarter of last year was quite high. Again, we're adding jobs pretty quickly. It's hard to look around right now and say, 
the economy is terrible and everything is awful. But again, like nobody knows. And it, I think one of the kind of anomalies of the past year in covering the economy has been A, nobody knows what's going on really. And B, there's been a lot of doomsday is coming. Something's about to happen. Everything's about to turn bad, like regardless of what the numbers say to a certain extent. Something is going to happen. Everything's going to be bad. I mean, if you if you go through life thinking that way, you will be proved right. But it's kind of a lousy way to go through life. So let's hope that the doomsayers are wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's... <laughs> I'm watching someday. you exasperate live on Zoom. It's great. Like someday there will be another recession. Like business cycles happen, right? This is there is no world where there's never a recession. I think right now it it almost feels like inevitable that something has to give in a way. And obviously, like the Fed is hiking interest rates. Um, they have been quite clear, like they are looking to really soften the job market, soften the economy, and it feels scary. Like, I don't know, I tend to be a pretty pessimistic person. And That's even why we get along so well. <laughs> it is. But I don't know, like, I just, I think especially after the jobs report last week, I have a hard time telling myself, like, things are really dire. And that doesn't mean they can't turn dire. And it doesn't mean that inflation isn't a problem and that it's not really annoying. But I don't know. Like the headlines just tell a very different story. I yeah, think, it's the, what's going on. It's the media's fault. All right. Things are not dire. I'm crossing my fingers and I'm thanking you for joining us, Emily Stewart. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we got to keep Emily's <laughs> exasperated sigh in there. Please. <laughs> Thanks again to Emily. In a minute, we're going to hear from Mike Isaac from The New York Times. But first, a word from a sponsor. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit Mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. I'm talking to Mike Isaac from the New York Times. I knew him back in the day when he was my coworker. Welcome back, Mike. Yo, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. The last time you were on, we were talking about Facebook and making TV shows. Let's still talk about Facebook. We'll skip the TV stuff for now. Yes, I wanted please. to have you on because, as you know, there have been tens of thousands of layoffs in Silicon Valley. It started last summer, accelerated through the mm. fall. I read today 66,000 jobs were cut this year, calendar year alone, mm. in a month. Meta, Amazon, Microsoft, um, not Apple, um, mm. have all announced cuts above 10,000 people. And I wanted to talk to you about about what's happening, why the cuts are happening, why the companies say the cuts are happening, and some alternate theories about that. I wanted to get an overall yeah. vibe shift check from you. <laughs> Let's start with the easiest part. There's kind of a script right now uh, when these yeah. companies announce layoffs. They say, first of all, the CEOs all say, this is my fault. This I is accept my responsibility. full responsibility. <laughs> I'm not leaving or taking a pay cut, but but it is my responsibility that we have to fire 10,000 people or more. Why do they say they have to fire 10,000 people or more? Again, these are these are the giant blue chip companies that power both Silicon Valley and really the overall American economy in a lot of ways. Yep, most of the fangs at this point, I th or mangs or whatever you want to call it, I guess. Yeah, so you're exactly right. The script they have basically is, I feel very sorry for doing this. I accept all responsibility and basically – 
COVID-19 happened, the, um, the pandemic forced everyone indoors, and we naively believed that everyone would be inside forever and sort of using devices, using their computers, buying things online, living sort of digitally, uh, you know, to the increased rate that they had at that point, and that was just going to continue forever. And to be fair to them, things shot through the roof. Like there were periods where Facebook, literally Zuckerberg talked to me about them having to try and keep the lights on uh, because so many people were using Facebook all the time. But I think that what they're saying is they mistakenly sort of position that as we overhired because of that. And uh, as a result, as pandemic has scare quotes ended, meaning people are starting to go back into reality and, and vaccines are more common and um, things have changed. People you know, are leaving their house. People are going outside, you know, <laughs> and like that is I think that's not insane. I think that's part of it for sure. And like there are and with some reporting that we've done, just there are people at these companies who don't actually have as much to do anymore. And perhaps there are too many bodies at some of them. So that's the script. I don't think it's insane. But to your to what you're alluding to, I don't think that's everything i guess it is there there's definitely some hive mind going on they all they all centered around cuts of six to ten percent magically i'm old enough to remember the dot-com cuts <laughs> where everyone sort of announced 20 percent cuts at the start and 20 wow. percent was the new was the new flat for a while so everyone sort of circles around that and each each of these companies has a different story and we can talk about some of them but there is some pushback on this narrative and ben thompson from strategy has been pushing on this and some other folks as well saying wait a minute, you hired a lot of people during COVID, but you didn't double in size. You yep. you hired a lot of people, but you're a really big company. So if you just sort of hire at the rate you're normally hiring at, or you increase it a little bit, it's a lot of people. But did you really overhire that much? Did you really change your mm. company fundamentally uh, because of COVID? Is there something else going on? Are you hearing that? Yeah. I mean, look, to your point too, like, Let's just take Meta, Facebook's numbers. Um, they're the people I cover closest, and and you know their user numbers went up the last quarter, even after a temporary blip, blip, and not by a negligible amount. They're at two billion DAUs, daily active users on Facebook alone. A lot of the, their revenue was flat to you know a little bit lower, but still very high. And like it's not like their business was halved, you know, it's not like everything went away. So like, again, I don't think it's wholly dismissible. I think that they did hire a lot of folks, but like there are other sort of, I think, macroeconomic factors as well as specific sort of acute tech economy factors that are probably harming some of these businesses more than usual. And as uh, Ben Thompson sort of homes in on and, and Eric Seifert or Seifert, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, a sort of mobile analyst who's been really sharp and really focused on Facebook for a very long time. One of the underlying theories is that digital ads and like companies propped up on digital advertising um, have been more harmed than folks have caught on to with changes to Apple's privacy tracking and and iOS sort of and and how that has 
sort of impacted the businesses that use these ad supported platforms in a much uh, sort of larger way than might have been before before all this happened. Apple announced, and, and I think people listening to this know some of this, I've written about it, uh, Apple announced it was going to change the way basically that, that app developers, i.e. Facebook in particular, but anyone who's got an app, could track users across the internet. That has the effect of making their ads much much less precise, uh, harder for advertisers to figure out if someone saw an ad and acted on it, and really has undercut a big chunk of that economy. It's different than cutting out advertising altogether, and there's a debate about how much effect that has had, but Facebook has been very loud about saying this is absolutely affecting us. Mm-hmm. Although now they've been saying we think we're through the worst of it. Probably not helpful to keep yelling about that, especially right now if they don't want their shares to tank. No, and, and also their view. I mean, I talked to folks there when this was rolled out and they said, yeah, we're modeling. This is going to slow our growth mm. a bit. And they underestimated that, I think. They believe mm. that. It also, there you could also argue there's some political benefit to them saying, hey, look what Apple's doing to us. 100%. But they also believed, and I think still do believe, like we're Facebook, we're Meta, we're huge – People have to advertise with us. It's going to take us a while to figure out better versions of this, but we're going to recapture some of this. And I think they believe they're getting some of that back. So we can blame Apple slash ATT for sort of undercutting some parts of the digital ad economy. This is the it's the it's the lower funnel part of the ad economy. Yes. Um, that's that's people clicking on something and downloading an app usually some some sort of direct effect like that. That said, if you talk to people who are selling brand ads on the internet, they'll say, "Oh no, the brand ads are falling apart. People are moving their their buys to the lower funnel stuff." So it depends on what you're selling and who you're talking to. Interesting. But so the Apple stuff is is a, is a real factor for some of these companies. There's another theory that says this is the bosses trying to rebalance the scales of power and totally. Google had had union organizing not really at Facebook but you know workers were starting to unionize and and demand this and that and they don't want to work in the office and the bosses didn't know what to do and if you lay off 10,000 people that sends a message and it sort of helps reestablish an equilibrium that we used to have does that sound right to you I think that's very smart because I, so you don't think it's overselling the the worker power argument? I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's like it's a little too Machiavellian to me in the sort of well, I need to cut off the legs of tens of thousands to show people who's boss. Like, I, but I, that said, like the these CEOs are not used to having a pissed off workforce. You know, they're not used to what I believe is a younger generation of folks who sort of recognize that there's power in labor, you know, and there's power in sort of numbers and and unionizing is is growing in popularity across a bunch of different sort of companies and mediums. I mean, media like you and me, you know, that's becoming more of a, a stronger force than it was. And this stuff kind of goes in waves as well, like it often tracking with the economy, I think, like back to your point earlier about the dot com and sort of folks sort of feeling lucky to have a job and and whether they could survive it. I think we were in a very long sort of post 2008 bull run of the market where folks were feeling comfortable and slowly empowered over time. And I think it did catch the bosses off guard, especially after folks were especially after the bosses had workforces that largely were happy to be there, believed in the mission to the degree that, you know, you could get people to over over time. Um, and these companies were 
sort of growing from smallish to older, more established. You know, I think a lot of the symptoms we see now is also like a result of web 2.0 era companies becoming the next like old companies mm-hmm. in a sense, you know, like yeah. these like, are 15, I, 20 year old companies or yes. older. Their products are 15 or 20 years old. Yes. YouTube yes. is, I mean, a lot of this stuff has not evolved that much and it's the same kind of thing. And they're still yes. in, in Facebook and in Google's case, money printing machines, but that's yes. less exciting for the employees. And also it's less exciting for investors who are used to like up and to the right, up and to the right, up and to the right. And it's, yeah. it's still up, it's still to the right, but it's not at that same velocity. This is why I've kind of been watching Facebook stock go insane. Uh, is it like one of the most volatile thing stocks that I can even it's imagine? Like doubled maybe? in the last month, right? Right, exactly. Doubled in the last week, basically, and then like halved. You know, last year when when the their quarterly reports were sort of tanking, I am a little wary of the insane gains it's made this past week or so because I feel like a lot of the happiness from investors comes from seeing that. Zuckerberg was able to make the trimming that he did without mm-hmm. like substantially killing parts of the business, I guess. They're, they basically, what I was told by at least a few smart analysts is that their operating expenses were super high and didn't want to come down for a long time. And then they sh- they were able to shave off like five or six billion by making trims to uh, headcount, re- real estate, um, data centers. And like, I think the market was like, ooh, I kind of like that. And if we're not getting the era of sustained up into the right growth, what is where are those new sort of trims going to come from? But you can't do that every quarter. Like you can't make huge cuts without substantially affecting the business eventually if if what you're trying to do is continue that growth. Let's I spend a, let's spend a little more time on Facebook since that's your your expertise and I have some questions there. You know, a couple of years ago Mark Zuckerberg comes out and says we're no longer Facebook, we're Meta because we're yeah. all about the metaverse. This is going to be great. I'm going to devote 10 billion dollars a year for a long yeah. time into this thing yeah. that doesn't exist that I'm going to will into existence that I need to to be a thing for my company to sort of make the next leap. Yep. At the time, Wall Street's like, sure, whatever, fine. Um, this is during <laughs> the pandemic. Fair. And now there's a lot of pushback saying, wait, you're doing what? On virtual reality? <laughs> it doesn't exist. And he has tried to sort of walk that back a little bit without walking it back. What's your sense of where his head is really at. Is he is he as committed yeah. to this idea as he was two years ago and just has to sort of message it a little differently? We're not going to burn all our money all at once? Or is he yeah. has he slowed down on that? I think he's still very committed to the idea. I think if you go and look at the, the earnings last quarter, none of those trims were really... I mean, they did some trimming on super underperforming products in what they call the reality labs division, basically their money burning division that's working on the metaverse and metaverse products. It makes the Oculus headset. Correct. They made Oculus. They made um, uh, all those sort of new VR and now AR devices that they're working augmented reality. But most of those folks were saved. They weren't really heavily impacted by layoffs. I still think that's the direction he wants to go in. And that's really most of what he cares about daily (laughs) these days. I think he crashed into the reality of for a long time, he could say whatever dream he wanted and investors didn't really care because the numbers were going in the direction that they cared about. You know, the underlying business was solid and they were looking at the upside potential to, let's say, uh, WhatsApp or Messenger or all these like under monetized or unmonetized products that they had. 
And they're like, yeah, sure, go chase your metaverse dream, whatever, you know, as long as you continue putting up these results. Now, their growth is just not what it was, you know, like they're not going to get that. And so they and so, again, it's Wall Street and investors are looking at this metaverse dream and saying, oh, wait, you're going to spend that much money for this long amount of time and you're not posting the same results. You need to rethink this. I think also, Mark, realizing that. I think he's like, I'm still going to do this, but I have to like, I have to actually watch what I say a bit more to these folks and like pretend that I really not pretend, but like focus on reining in spending and, you know, like and I can cut some other yes. stuff too. There are spots in the company where I can trim the, I mean, if you want to call it fat, trim what they see as fat, you know, and like, um, uh, and the, the whole rebranding 2023 is the year of efficiency, yeah. which he put on the phone, you know, which I found very funny, but also I guess that shit works. I think he's just more careful about the emphasis now. Although the, the, the real question I have is how that dovetails with the in vogue AI hotness of the moment. Oh, don't, like... don't get ahead. We're going to talk about AI. <laughs> it's a podcast. Of course we're talking about AI and you, and you just wrote about it today. So we'll, but, um, I do want to come back to that, but he said in the call, we have too many managers here. I'm looking around we have all these managers and they're managing other managers and which I, brutal. is funny. Cause guess who, <laughs> guess who signed off on all that CEO, <laughs> but it's, you know, everyone I've talked to inside the company believes there is another round of cuts coming, this one aimed at managers. Do, do you think Facebook and then and, and beyond that, that the the, the CEOs, the, the Sundars of the world have said, oh, Wall Street liked it when we cut 10 percent of our staff. Maybe we can cut more. Do you think more cuts are coming? Keep chopping. I had heard um, a few whispers of that as well or like nothing concrete enough for me to report, but like it's a podcast. Just we can of, just go ahead. Yeah, but uh, but this is a different medium. No, I think it's more like people worried about like, I mean, look, he took a very different tone last year when folks were, if you remember this internal call that leaked where they were like, what's up with the food or yep. or, some, or no, my like PTO or something. This is Gary from Chicago. Like, yes. And, he, and Mark was like, this is after, this is after he said, we're going to cut back on the food a little bit and you can't yes. take home as much steak to your family. <laughs> You wrote about that, which seemed like the crazy thing for them to focus on, but in the end, it was a precursor to this world. And 100%. he said, "There's more austerity. We're gonna we're gonna really start trimming." And then this guy piped in from Chicago <laughs> asking about like Free Fridays or something. And yeah, Gary yeah, yeah. from Chicago no just, longer works at Meta. Oh my god! Yeah, right. That that uh that struck them the wrong way. Like management was like, "I don't think you understand." And like to be fair to random Chicago guy, it's like they didn't see the numbers that Mark and them have the insight into. They didn't see the numbers. And also, you, there's a multiple generations of, of tech employees who have not yes. been in a downturn, right? The last yes. real downturn was post-bubble 2000. The, you know, when the banking Great Recession hit in 2008 to 2010, it seemed like it was going to hit tech, but actually the tech companies did pretty well all in. Fair. So you've yeah. got 20 years of employees who've only known that tech companies make money, increasingly make money, that they want to pay them more and more, that if they want to leave the company, the company will spend a lot of money to keep them or they can go do a startup. And if the startup fails, maybe the company will buy them back. Always come back to Google. It's all Facebook or whatever. This is this is where I want to go with you in this conversation. So so now some of uh, there's a new reality in the Valley. Or you tell me, is there a new reality? And is that sinking in both at the existing work for the people who are still at the Facebooks of the world, the metas of the world, and the rest of the economy? How is that shaking out? I'll give credit to Ben Thompson on his sort of pointing out that like the tech economy versus like 
the rest of the economy, you know, which has been putting up really strong results. And like the labor market is actually very strong right now, you know, and like Jerome Powell's sort of like curbing of inflation is starting to work in ways, you know, like that, that that's sort of very disconnected from what's going on in tech in a lot of different ways. My favorite anecdote in recent memory was I was talking to a long time, let's just say big company veteran who um, she was telling me about her her conversation with a younger worker who was saying, well, I don't know if I want to stay here. I want to kind of pursue my dream of doing, you know, X startup or whatever. And then I can always come back. And she was like, I've lived through now too, this will be my third sort of downturn. You need to hold on to your seat as much as possible. And I think that is starting to sink in. I think the Twitter's not like in the class of company that we've been talking about, but like everyone who was there and got either laid off or left, uh, not of their own volition, were basically saying, I'm worried because, and the folks who are still there who are not like Elon stands are either H1B folks or can't leave because they feel trapped in a lot of ways. And so I feel like, that sentiment for certain classes. There are some folks who will always, I think, kind of be in demand, like a very specialized, highly um, sort of sought after folks I've heard in like, let's say machine learning or AI specialists, um, folks at higher levels are still getting sort of sought after. But I think for entry level jobs and folks who might've been easier to sort of walk into Google in the past, it's becoming much harder. How does that manifest culturally? Are, do, can you see it? Yeah. I mean, are, are you're out in the Bay Area. Is it easier to get a restaurant reservation or <laughs> is real estate? Uh, I mean, there's and San Francisco has yeah. some very specific problems, but can you, are there markers of that that you can see just as socially or when you're reporting and talking to people in tech and they've got a different view of the world in 2023 than they had three years ago? I think the leverage on i mean let's just talk about work from home and like the fact that a lot of people are like no i ain't coming back in the office and th at the same time like apple for instance mandates what are they like three days a weekend basically now something like that and so. and like if you don't like it then good luck right and i think facebook is is pushing on that as well like companies are slowly starting to realize the leverage that they do have in some of these ways i think the <laughs> this is the this sort of issue. Like when this stuff happens out here, I think this it's going to be a leading indicator because there's still plenty of money sort of sloshing around, and it's not like um, it's not a Pennsylvania you know, steel town. Yeah, VCs aren't going to Safeway. They're still shopping. You know, they're still getting their Whole Foods delivered from DoorDash or whatever, right? But like, I think it is less like lavish extravagant parties and part of that too is like sort of acting as if we are being more austere as well as like actual austerity but i haven't seen like everything start closing down immediately if that makes mm -hmm. sense um we've talked about ai several times so let's let's talk about it for real we're yeah. recording this literally as uh, satya nadella is is showing off new chat gpt integrations over in bing and microsoft yesterday not coincidentally google said hey we've got a chat gpt thing and it's coming out <laughs> soon uh, you wrote a piece about that today and the fact that Facebook also has stuff that it's been very cautious about rolling out and Google has as well. And that the uh, why have Google and Facebook, who really you would think would be leading the AI race just based on the brain power and data and money at their fingertips and their expressed interest in all of this stuff, why are they seemingly a step behind 
OpenAI, which made ChatGPT, and Microsoft, which is now really deeply enmeshed with OpenAI and ChatGPT. Totally. Well, so the the genesis for this story. So I worked on a story with my colleague Cade Metz, who's lovely and super smart in AI. I've been writing about it for a long time, and I thought about this when basically when ChatGPT started blowing up, and the precursor to that even was. Uh, Midjourney and the other sort of generative AI image startups yep. that everyone was hopping on for a while. And the thought I had was, yeah, yeah, correct. So it's not just the past few weeks. It's been, you know, probably let's say six months or so. Um, the thought I had was like, if I'm Mark Zuckerberg, I'm going absolutely insane right now because they've spent the past, it's not just like the past year, the past 10 years spending tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars building up their AI bench internally working on, uh, they've created this thing called FAIR, F-A-I-R, which I couldn't tell you the acronym stands for, but it's basically research-focused AI. They produce like something like 1,500 papers a year on AI, like just incredible amount of output in academia, as well as sort of internally uh, applying it to some of their products. But like, who in the real world could tell you a single AI related thing that Facebook does, right? And I don't, I think like normal people couldn't grasp that. So, what I suspect and what Kate and I sort of wrote about is that part of this is what we were getting back to like this part of being an aging company where you become bigger, there's more layers of process, there's more corporate baggage around your existence, and you can't push out really a controversial, fairly untested and potentially dangerous tool into the world the same way a completely unknown startup. Um, you can't move fast and break things because 100%. when you do, and even if you don't break that much, you're going to get hauled up before Congress. Yes. You're going to get sued. Yes. This is the price that comes with being this giant dominant company. Curse of bigness, I think, is like how I've been thinking about it. And they can't buy like... Part of me wonders if Satya would have just outright purchased OpenAI or, or I know they're they're a foundation, but like out, outright would have bought the yep. tech in some way if it were not the age of the FTC being where it is. Right this now. is one I was at a, a AI demo day that a VC sponsored last fall. And I was having the, wow, this is really interesting. And it reminds me of, you know, Web 2.0 stuff or like, is this a company or a feature? Yep. Um, and also how many of these companies are going to get bought by Facebook and Google? And, you know, these since you, those guys, again, have all this data, which you need to power these engines, all this money, they can go hire all the academics. Isn't this stuff all inevitably going to get swallowed up? And totally. one of the VCs said, yeah, that absolutely could happen. And or Google and Facebook can't touch any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and we just saw, you know, Facebook finally just got permission, basically, because the FTC lost a court case to buy a, a pretty, you know, to buy a work a VR workout app, um, that was you know a weird fight for them to pick or interesting fight for them to pick. The Biden administration clearly said we want you to stop getting big, and instead of waiting for you to get big and then trying to punish you after the fact, we're going to prevent you from buying even small stuff. So that's an open question. Benedict Evans had a really good point about that, which is a dilemma of like, do you do it after the fact and and like miss the boat, or do you do it before and make a bet that this is going to be big? Which again. Who knows if VR stuff is even going to take off? But right. 
they tried and they failed this time, so I don't know. So with AI, so we know we we you can read the stories about these startups going up looking for funding. I've heard crazy stories about people all but literally knocking down founders' doors trying to give them money. Um, it has classic boom characteristics. It seems to me to me to be not a coincidence that um, this this new boom comes right after crypto went away, and yes. there's a lot of that same energy. There are different things, obviously, and and I think that AI is probably a real product as opposed to some Web three stuff, which isn't. Yes. But yes. does the does the energy around that and the sort of enthusiasm is that valley wide? Is everyone interested in this stuff, mm -hmm. or are there people saying no, no, this is still a, a subset of what's going on? And does it and does that excitement help sort of soothe out the contractions that you know and the layoffs, the sixty six thousand people that have been fired? in this calendar year? Or does that balance out? So I was talking to two founders the other day um, who are working on an AI-backed sort of startup. And there is palpable excitement for what's going on in AI right now, I think. And like, look, again, this is a point that we're making is like AI research and development has been happening for a very long time. But this sort of, this is the props I'll give to OpenAI and ChatGPT3 is they productized it in a way that makes everyone, <laughs> normal people excited about it, right? And like founders are seeing the amount of money flowing into the space because VCs are looking for, okay, what's the next investment category since the entire bottom fell out of crypto and like everyone with those giant crypto funds look pretty bad right now, but like, where are we gonna park our money? And that that that's why, you know, that's why OpenAI just got this huge round and that's why, um, there's a few other ones that are getting yep. large investment and and, right and, now. and 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 someone as the information I want to I want to credit them had a line about you know we're we are in the stage now where people are basically getting doing you know ideas on napkins and then getting funded yes. yep um, and like pivots like hardcore pivots from like literally from web 3 to AI you know and like could I tell you what that that actually means in theory you know or what in practice no and probably they can't either but like it's so this is why this is why it's right to be skeptical because a lot of the valley is very trend focused a lot of the time right mm -hmm. and people sort of chase um like do you remember everything was post uber like everything was like an on demand startup for a while and then all those folded and then once bitcoin uh, and ethereum right, we need a new new thing off, Yes. And that's very, it's like the ADD of the Valley. Like everyone loves to go after the new thing and get excited. And it sounds like sort of uh, like a joke when I say this feels more real, but mm -hmm. it does feel more real to, to me. Like the tech is pretty amazing once you sort of experience it. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't limitations. I think there are a ton of limitations that we're also coming up against and ways to hack it. But I think this is exciting people in a way that hasn't been exciting and it, even with crypto too like there there was that was very polarizing and a lot of people were like this is stupid and a ponzi scheme versus this where everyone's like this could be transformative for better or worse one of my kids came home from school a couple of weeks ago dad there's a new cheating app i'm like yeah i know what do you mean you know i'm like it's called ChatGPT. How'd you know about this like he thought ah, he you got to be a, the cool dad for yeah, well i'm still not the cool dad <laughs> but I do want to, and you alluded to this at the beginning of the conversation, so we'll wrap it up here. One of the the use cases for AI is not helping my kid uh, work on his ninth grade uh, essay, but doing code. And mm. 
you know, I was talking with someone at one of these fan companies, and they said, you know, there's a lot of limitations for this stuff and, and some obvious problems, but apparently, and this guy is not a coder, so we have to take him at <laughs> caveat. his caveat. Like, these things are great at making code. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the first things that OpenAI and Microsoft collab- collaborated on was, I think it was called GitHub Copilot, um, which is basically like, uh, we're going to write software for you using yes. GitHub. All of which to say is, are there jobs that are going to go away in Silicon Valley because of, you know, this iteration of AI or coming ones? And have, have people sort of thought that through that actually they might be cheering on the thing that's going to put them out of work? It's so funny how – remember the whole shape rotator versus – what was the other one? Yeah. You know what I'm it's, talking about? It's a, it's a Mark Super Andreessen stupid. making and, fun of yeah. people like us who don't come Yes, basically it was like this whole thing about – I don't remember the exact words, but like Mark Andreessen went on this whole rant about like people who build things versus like word people like you and me and how we are basically screwed over the long term or whatever. And like it actually makes a lot of sense to me that that this tech could have, I guess, adverse effects for my career path for people in coding, because a lot of coding is very rules based and appreciates sort of like how, you know, how the logic of systems work and like that that is much more difficult to do with language where there's worlds of nuance and context that change frequently, you know? And I think like if you have, let's say, I mean, I'm very much simplifying it, but like if you have code based systems that, that sort of adhere to and appreciate logic over time, I think that can be maybe a um, natural application of how AI can sort of use that and build in a way that didn't exist before. The same founder that I was talking to, when Copilot came out, that sort of coding thing was like, this is big and you need to pay attention to it. And like, it didn't like break through because again, like most people are not coders and most people don't care about that. But I think it just shows like, look, it's not like just all the writers are going to be put out of work tomorrow. I think this is going to affect large swaths of the economy and the information economy that like, it's almost like a an interesting potential reckoning for this information economy that everyone has was been has been told to like fly to because all the other jobs in the world are being sort of dried up over time. Yes, when our colleagues get laid off in media, uh <laughs> the standard uh, troll line is learn to code. Yeah. Right from the supposed coders telling, you know, the gl- Now it's gleeful. like learn to train an AI model. Yeah, learn to prompt. <laughs> um so so do you do you think and I'll leave it here. Are you picking up on that fear? Is there fear that hey, wait a minute, we we may be we may be accelerating our demise, or is that not <laughs> registering to the folk with the folks you talk to? I don't know. Maybe it's the hubris of the valley, and that none of them are just like worried about getting put out of the job entirely. There's, I mean, look, I think also optimism. Let's let's call it optimism. There you go. Techno optimism is boundless out here. But I think the, I think there, there's a realistic expectations on on the limits of AI right now, which are very real, and and you know these are things that require a lot more training and research and you can criticize how you know how far they've gotten and let's say self-driving which is ai driven and also requires enormous amounts of data and is still nowhere really um uh, compared to where it needs to be i guess is what i would say so i i don't think everyone's freaking out quite yet but i do think they're in the bright-eyed wide-eyed space of look where this could go and la-di-da let's go sort of build the next version of what tech can be 
So let's maybe maybe it'll take a few years before the they start freaking out. Fear comes. La di da. Let's go, Mike Isaac. So nice to see you. I wish you could see in real life, but we'll figure it out. I think I saw Bruno come to New York uh, showing (laughs) up. Is she? That is my my dog is in the background. She doesn't like it when I do podcasts, so I have to pet her. Okay. Well, I kind of (laughs) like seeing you pet Bruno. Nice to see you, sir. See you around. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks again to Mike. Thanks again to Emily. Thanks again to Jelani and Travis and everyone who had to help figure out the tech for this week's show. It was more involved than it should have been, but we figured it out. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing this show to you for free. And thanks to you guys for listening. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.